Pride Month is a time to celebrate the identities that make up our amazing and diverse community. It's also a time to reflect on and honor the powerful contributions of those who've come before us. We stand on the shoulders of giants, Langston Hughes, Audre Lorde, Bayard Rustin, Sylvia Rivera, Marsha P. Johnson, to them and countless other trailblazers, we are humbly indebted and forever grateful. If you'd like more information or recommendations on how you can help the movement, go to blacklivesmatter.com partners. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 245 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamsrights.com, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Coming up this week, Daryl Banner joins us to talk about his latest books, including Lover's Flood and Connor. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join the community at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. We've got a lot of great content lined up for you in this episode, but first we want to mention the passing of someone very dear to the gay romance community, audiobook narrator Kenneth Obie. Earlier this week came word that we unexpectedly lost Kenneth to a heart attack. He was a wonderful ally and gone far too soon. In just a few short years in the business, Kenneth managed to narrate a tremendous number of titles by working with some of the most popular authors in our genre like Nora Phoenix, K.M. Newhold, Jocelyn Drake, Rinda Elliott, and many, many more. His talents and his passion for story brought the works of these authors to life for so many readers. Jeff and I had a chance to talk with him while we were in Albuquerque for GRL last year. He was so excited to be at that event. And even though our chat was brief, it was obvious that he loved this genre and its readers. Now, while he may no longer be with us, his voice lives on. His work is still available wherever you find audiobooks, and you can also hear about his own personal connection to the community in the documentary What Women Want, Gay Romance. It's a wonderful piece produced by Charlie David, who we spoke to about the project just a few episodes ago. We recommend that you check it out if you haven't already. We also want to take a quick moment to say thank you for all the kind words regarding the Pride Month bonus content that we've been releasing. We are so glad that you've enjoyed it so far, but June is not yet over and we've got lots more coming your way. So be on the lookout for that. And while we're all celebrating things a little bit differently this summer, restrictions on public gatherings have made us think a little bit, let's say, outside the box. Um, That being said, some reader events are moving full steam ahead, albeit virtually. That's right. And in fact, I just talked this week with J. Scott Coatsworth and Angel Martinez about an event that they have been working to organize along with some other authors in the queer sci-fi speculative fiction fantasy space. Rainbow Space Magic Con is coming up this weekend, June 20 and 21st, and Scott and Angel have all the details for us. Angel and Scott, thanks so much for being here. It's great to have you back on the show. It's been a long time since we've had you here together. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be here. We want to talk all about this upcoming rainbow space magic that's going to bring everybody together online to talk about some great books. Tell us all about what rainbow space magic is. So it started out, what, about a month ago, maybe two months ago. Um, about two months ago, yeah. Yeah. Just when this lockdown was kind of getting started, the thing I call the great pause, Olivia Helling uh, jumped into the sci-fi group and said, you know, what does anybody think about creating a virtual con since there's going to be so many cons that are going to be canceled this year? And uh, she asked for volunteers and there were a few of us that jumped in. I think we've got, what, six or seven of us total? Something like that, yeah. 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 And uh, kind of various backgrounds and, and everybody said, you know, let's do pitch in and get this thing done. So yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. Right. I mean, we were kind of watching all the conventions domino effect cancel. It's like, you know, Emerald Con cancels and this con cancels and that con cancels. And now Flame Con has canceled in New York. And, you know, all of all of the big things that that we would normally go to. So yeah, we we desperately wanted something um, that could bring the science fiction and fantasy readers together that, you know, for, for queer science fiction and fantasy because of all of the things that they're missing this year. 
How was the response from participants? The author response has been amazing. And we started out sort of advertising to the authors more because we needed to get panelists together. We're just now kind of getting rolling to get participants to sign up. It is a free convention. It is completely free. They only need to sign up so that they can get access to the webinars, but there's no cost for it. So we're just starting now to start doing that promotion to get people to come and and sign up so that they can can actually come and see the panels. (laughs) That's awesome that it's free. Well, the great thing with this kind of con, too, um, I was just at NebulaCon last weekend, which was rescheduled as a virtual con. And it's because it's virtual, there's a lot of people that couldn't make a regular con, whether because of cost issues, economics, or just because they aren't able to travel. So there's a lot of folks that will be able to come to a con like this that wouldn't be able to attend an actual in-person con. Because it's free and because you don't have to get the hotel room, you don't have to get your tickets and everything else, you can kind of commit to it pretty last minute. And you can also pop in and see the ones you want to see kind of as, as you go. I think we're going to be uh, recording them. So if folks want to catch them afterwards, they'll be able to. They, yes, there, there will be recording done. And it's going to be over two days. And right. there will be four blocks of panels. So we wanted to do it so that it's not focused on one time zone. Mm-hmm. So there's an earlier block of panels in the morning. And then there's a later block of panels for what would be the evening for us here um, on the East Coast, so that people in different time zones in Europe and, you know, way out in Alaska can actually come to some of these panels, too. And that's, you know, we didn't want to make it so that it was just, you know, East Coast focused and, you know, people wouldn't be able to, to come if they were out in California or over in Great Britain or something like that. Yeah. That's amazing because so often with the virtual thing, it's centered on one place. And as you said, there's a time zone that kind of gets left out a little bit there. So that's that's really cool. Tell me about the author lineup. Who's coming to this Rainbow Space Magic? We had quite a number of authors that uh, wanted to join it. We kind of did an open thing where we said, what kind of panels do you want to see and what do you suggest for the panels? Um, So they got to throw the ideas out. And now we're kind of getting everybody figured into when they can come and what panels they can do. We have folks like Cage Harper and Allie Lester and Cody Sisko. Steve Turnbull is coming. Rory Nicolain is coming. Baz Collins has signed up for a panel, which is always fun. We have uh, Vance Bastion is also coming, so we'll have both of them at some point. Belinda McBride, Catherine Lundoff. It's just a, a really interesting and diverse set of folks who are going to be involved. So it's not just people who write uh, male-male science fiction romance. These are folks who write um, across the spectrum, who write science fiction and fantasy with romance and without romance. There are some folks who are coming in who are editors and and narrators. So it's it's a pretty wide spectrum of folks that we've gotten involved here. So it's a lot of fun. That's excellent. And as you said, probably because it is so virtual, you can you could pull from such a number of people who can commit to a panel or two over the weekend. Right. And I think a lot and of them that are organizing are going to be on some panels, too. So we've got uh, Eric Allen Westfall, Olivia Helling was the one that kind of came up with the idea, Angel, myself. Is Monique, how do you say Monique's last name? Is Collier? Collier? Collier, yep. Collier. And Valerie, Valerie Mickles is coming also. So there's a lot of other authors that are working on the thing that are also going to be participating. Right both as moderators as well as being on the panels. Give us an idea of some of these panels. What are what are some of the ones that perhaps either of you are looking the most forward to either attending or or taking part in? I'll just kind of go over some highlights. Um, we really wanted to have some diversity and also some hope this time. So we've got one that's called What Could Go Right, which is about hopeful queer uh, speculative fiction for dark times. We're tackling uh, religion and, and a queer intersectionality in speculative fiction, which is one I'm really excited about. We've got one on ace and uh, aromantic characters uh, put together. Those are some of the ones that are, we call them speculative fiction focused. They're more kind of reader focused a little bit or kind of reader and writer. We also have a couple of craft-focused panels that we're doing this time. We're doing one on uh, building queer character arcs in speculative fiction. And the other one is jumping into the mainstream, and that's about authors transitioning from writing in smaller spaces into more of a mainstream space in terms of publishing and uh, getting out the word out there. So 
Yeah, it really is kind of a test for us. What, this is, jump in. what panel are you doing? Um, actually, I am on the list, but I haven't checked my list yet, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what panels am I in? Okay, Jay Scott Fitzworth will be on the panel, What Makes Queer Spec Fic Queer? Yay. Which is one that I'm really looking forward to, to listening in on. And that's it's basically, you know, how much queer do you need before it's considered queer speculative fiction? And you have another panel, Scott, which is the jumping into the mainstream. Okay. So you're actually going to be on that one. Yep. Yay. Yeah, yeah, we actually kind of did that first one back in Rainbow Con back in 2014 or 15. But we talked about that. Like, is it, do you have to have queer sex in something to make it queer, for instance? Right, right, right. Can you just right. refer to somebody as, you know, at some point I you know mentioned my ex-boyfriend and that's enough to make it queer. So it'll be interesting right. discussion. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, this is the first time we're doing this. We're hoping it goes well this year. And if it goes well with this year, then we'll consider doing another year of it. Um, so it's really right. an experiment for us to, to try this thing. Angel, what panels are you on? You you hype Scott, but what are you on? <laughs> well, I'll be I'll be doing a reading, but I'll also be doing a panel called Outlaws and Adversaries, mm. and that's going to be about the importance of outlaws specifically to the queer community and and why that is that we identify with outlaw characters and how they relate to their adversaries very often in these stories as well. So that'll be a fun one. Nice. And you're, so you're doing readings, too. That's cool that there are the tracks of the panels and the tracks of the readings. Right. Yeah, they're going to alternate. And we're doing uh, multi-platforms in this thing. Um, we're going to be doing the readings on Facebook Live. And then we're going to be using Zoom um, for the panels. And then the website will be kind of the glue that holds it all together. And it'll be interesting. I had this experience, as I mentioned, with NebulaCon this last weekend. And they had a really slick setup for their rooms or social rooms, which was cool to see. But I thought that some of their navigation, it was really hard to find some of the things, like to find your way into those rooms. Oops. So, yes, yeah, so it'll be it was a good learning experience for me to take back to our site and work with Monique and make sure that things are all on the right. site, easy to find and navigate from there to wherever you need to go. So that'll be kind of the home home base. And then from there, you can pop into uh, Zoom or you can pop over into uh, Facebook Live for the readings. Or, you know, we also just uh, talked about like 10 minutes ago about the idea of selling uh, shirts and stickers and things. Right. For the time. And so we're going to set that up in Redbubble and there'll be a, a little um, store section on the, the website as well. And I guess we should tell you what the website is, Jeff. Yes, I was going to get to that. How can people <laughs> go and register and and find out all about all the programming? The website is really easy. It's rainbowspacemagic.org. What we're doing is, it, it is free, but we are taking donations, sponsorship donations. And that's covering just the small costs that we have, like Zoom, setting up Zoom for larger groups. Anything that we have left over is going to the Trevor Project. Yep. So people Fantastic. can certainly make donations, even if we don't need the funds. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing anything we make yeah. on Redbubble, which will probably not be a lot, but because it's an right. on-demand print service, but anything we make through that will go to Trevor Project as well. Fantastic. A weekend of great sci-fi programming that also benefits a good cause, which is great. We try. So, of course, June is Pride Month, and we've been asking all of our guests this month what Pride means to them. So, Angel, I'll, I'll come to you first for that. Well, the thing that we have to remember, and it's probably something that a lot of people are saying right now, is that the original Pride was a riot. The original Pride was people standing up and saying, no more. And that's something that we really have to think about this month. And we have really have to support black, indigenous, and people of color in our communities and outside of our communities and think a little bit more outside of just ourselves. Pride is all of us coming together and it needs to be all. I'm gonna go in a little different direction with it. Um, and I think that that's all very important, very valid. For me, pride, the first time I went, I was probably 23, 24 when uh, Mark and I went to San Francisco Pride. And it was just this amazing place where I was suddenly surrounded by people like me. And it was a place that I didn't have to worry about, you know, if I wanted to hold his hand or kiss him or, you know, show that we were together. But it, the full meaning of it didn't really hit me until a few years ago. And it was the year that the Supreme Court approved marriage equality. 
And Mark and I were lucky enough to be asked to march with the, the marriage uh, equality folks in San Francisco Pride. And we had probably a million people out there basically cheering for our marriage. And that was enough in the first place to just make my heart go, you know, like this. Right. But it was seeing the kids there and seeing the ones that were, you know, some of the teenagers that were 13, 14, 15. And it made me realize that there were going to be kids being born at that time or just recently born that were growing up in a world that had never not known that we were considered equal under the law. And that was what really kind of pushed it over the edge for me. So I, I don't care that, you know, the bars are there or Coors beer is there or Apple is there. That's, that's all beside the point. To me, it's really about um, the individual people there and the people like me that found acceptance in, for the first time in a real way at Pride. So that's what it means to me. Yay. Thank you both for sharing that. Uh, I, I love hearing these stories. I've been loving hearing them all month long from the folks that we've talked to. So thank you for adding to, to what our listeners are hearing about Pride. And thank you for being here to talk about Rainbow Space Magic coming up on June 20th and 21st. Give us the website yeah. one more time. It's uh, rainbowspacemagic.org, not com, dot org. <laughs> Fantastic. And of course, we'll put that in the show notes so that people can easily find it as well. Thank you again so much for being here and happy Pride Month. All right. Thanks, thanks for having us, Jeff. And thanks again to Scott and Angel for coming and talking to us about Rainbow Space Magic. Again, that takes place this weekend, June 20 and 21st, and you can get all the details for it at rainbowspacemagic.org. In the hockey player's heart, the feel-good gay romance by Jeff Adams and Will Knauss, hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. He never expects to run into his one-time crush at a grade school fundraiser. Seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the school teacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? Aaron has been burned by love before, and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get the Hockey Player's Heart at Amazon.com. I'm Willow Astor, author and host of Living in the Pages, part of the Frolic Podcast Network. My show features best-selling authors in their latest work, but we also cover a crazy range of emotion, from the heartfelt angst of how reality seeps into fiction to the silliness of singing our favorite songs together. I love books and I love writers. It's an extreme thrill for me to chat one-on-one -on -one with some of my favorite novelists. I like getting to know them as writers and creative people and also as real everyday people. Moms and scientists, everyone's interesting in their own way. Some highlights for me have been chatting with Taryn Fisher, Kennedy Ryan, Colleen Hoover, and the absolute dreamy Paulina Simons. Join me every Thursday on your favorite podcast app. So I'm so excited to bring everybody to this conversation that I had with Daryl Banner recently. Not only is he going to talk about his new book, Connor, which when it came out at the end of last week, went immediately up to the number one bestseller spot on one of the Amazon charts. Daryl is so much fun to talk to. He's got so many great stories, and I think everybody's going to have a really good time with this interview. Daryl, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here, too. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We wanted to talk to you for a while, and it's like, we need to get Daryl on the show. I know. I know. <laughs> I've been wanting to be on here for a while, so I'm happy you, happy you finally came around to it. <laughs> so we're right in the middle of Pride Month, and you've got a book coming out. Uh, yes, I do. Boys and Toys, season number two, and the book called Connor. Yes. Tell us about the series, first of all, and then tell us about this new book as well. Okay, so basically, let's see, my first season of Boys and Toys was last summer, and it was a totally different angle of romance for me. It was super fun. Basically, it centers around four best friends in the city, and they're finding love and struggles and hilarious troubles they get into. Season two is totally different. I wanted to take a different approach to it. So Connor is new to the city. We get to meet the other guys through him and get introduced to the whole atmosphere of the city. They're all novella-length romances. I think Connor is a great start and introduction to the second series. He's very fun, and he's bright, 
and it's kind of and he's also a Kansas boy so it's kind of fun to throw this sort of innocent Kansas boy right into the gayville of the city you also don't have to read the first season to read this one you can just jump right in and read Connor my, my plan is to have different seasons of boys and toys that are unrelated read them in any order so it's essentially your version of the anthology series. You get the season one that has a certain theme and people in it, and season two comes and yeah. has the next thing in it. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, well, it, it is. Kind of like there's there's so many – that's kind of popular now in TV with so many series that each season is its own contained story. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do with The Boys and Toys. Also, I wanted to play with this idea of a book series that kind of reads like a TV show where the chapters are more like episodes. Everyone kind of has a hook, so it kind of gets you going, gets you into it. One of my main inspirations for The Boys and Toys was both Sex in the City, Four Best Friends in the City, and Queer as Folk. So okay. it's a, a bunch of uh, friends. They each have a story that goes on. The main difference between season one and season two is that season one, all four of the guys were in all the books, and then they kind of, each of the books sort of centered around sort of one of the guys. In season two one guy is going to have his own book. So Connor, that is his whole book. And the other guys are very, they're secondary, but you kind of get to know them. It makes you kind of curious about what's going on with their lives. So I think it'll be a, a very fun experience for for people coming into to that series, I think. And, and what does Connor get up to as he arrives in the city? Oh, I don't know if I could tell you everything that goes on with Connor in the city. But I will say it's it's very fun. It's a lot of unexpected surprises. His his romance starts right off the bat, so you kind of get hooked and you're very you're invested right off right in the first chapter, kind of curious about where how that's going to pan out. He's constantly getting into trouble on accident and he's so innocent, he's so sweet, but he's also <laughs> like he's innocent and sweet, but then he's kind of got this like you feel like there's this pinch of he can, he can get bad. He can do something. You know, he can, there's something hidden in him. There's some kind of magic power. And it's very exciting and thrilling to see because he keeps making these little mistakes, these little social faux pas. And, and his roommate is this total frat bro dude. And so, like, he's just, he's, it's just, there's clashes. His landlord is kind of ice cold to him at first, you know, because he just doesn't, he doesn't trust him. He thinks he's this little twink that's going to get eaten up by the city. It's very, very fun. There's, there's all kinds of things. He, he gets this, what brings him to the city is this really prestigious internship, which might not be what he was hoping it would be. And there's a lot of social clashing and whatnot. It's very fun. It's a very fun book. Sounds like the perfect book for Pride Month, actually. Oh, kind yeah. of a fun, yeah. summery, <laughs> fluff, nice kind of read. Yeah, very much so. And all four books would kind of be like that. We got all, we got a, v- a very wide variety of characters between innocent country boy Connor, who's new to the city, and then Brett, which is going to be the second book, who is his roommate, the total frat bro who throws parties in his house and is a little irresponsible, like he probably has a little growing up to do. And then Dante, who is the landlord and who's also a photographer. And then Zach, who is a, a dancer at a club in town. And he's got a lot of, he's the most mysterious one, I think, because we really don't learn too much about him. But you know that there's something else deep about him, deep and passionate. And something called boys and toys. I mean, we got to ask, what is, what is the toys side of this? You know, it's kind of both. It's like, it's almost interchangeable. Like the boys are the toys. In the first season, there's actually literal toys here and there. Garrett, who is one of the four boys, he has a fetishy side. He's much more into fetish, and so there are literal toys that are incorporated in his his arc throughout the season. And you might see a little bit of that into play in the second season as well. There might be cameos from the first season in the second season. Oh, them. cool! I was going to ask if there were there were cameos. So it's cool that we get to see those <laughs> guys as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You've got a couple other series that you've got running, too. Let's talk a little bit about Spruce, Texas, because you also released in that series earlier this year. Yes. So Spruce, Texas is a very fun series. It's super sweet. Spruce, Texas is literally a fictional small town full of fun, loving people. It's exactly what you would expect for a small town. Everyone is in everyone else's business. Everyone knows everyone. It's a very small town. 
But most importantly, and I think this is the key ingredient, the special sauce for Spruce, is that it's set in a homophobia-free town. There are four books in the series. It starts with Football Sunday, it goes into Born Again Sinner, then Heteroflexible, and finally Wrangled. And there will be much more to come. I have actually another Spruce book planned later this year that I will be releasing. And I wish I lived there. I wish it existed. I like Spruce, Texas. Yeah. It's one of my one of my most fun places to write. I, I love going there. I love the books that, you know, really look at the world how you want it to be. And those yeah. homophobia-free zones that can be yes. created in fiction. Yeah. And I'm totally with you. I would, I would especially do a small town like that because I love yeah. a good small town romance anyway. Yeah, it's sweet. It's very sweet. It's fun. Tell us about Wrangled, this latest book. So Wrangled in particular is, it was an unexpected book, honestly, because my original plan for it was a sweet little novella about a Spruce, Texas high school reunion. I thought that would be a very fun thing to bring all the characters together to kind of see how they were like in high school and to see how they are now and how they've changed and grown. And then it really just kind of grew into something very different. It became a whole full-length book right out from underneath my hands. Literally, as I was writing it, I realized this is not a novella. This is not a short book. This is this is this deserves a full, full telling. And even the structure of the book changed too. It's literally about Lance, who, the moment he graduated high school, he was the only really out gay guy in Spruce ten years ago, and. He had a very different experience than a lot of the gay men that are in the other books. He, his time made him very bitter about Spruce. And so he takes off to the West Coast to pursue a career in fashion. And 10 years, he develops himself. He becomes this thing, this name. And he's right on the cusp of something. And then suddenly... It's time for his high school reunion. And of course, all of his friends are like, I didn't go to mine, but he decides to go to his. And he goes all the way to Spruce. And that's really, I, that's actually where the book begins, is when he goes to Spruce. And we experience the thrill of someone who is so, this is the first time in the series that we experience someone who's so far removed from the sweetness of Spruce, and he's coming in cold and bitter. And... Just, you know, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready to face this town that made my life hell when I was in high school. But because, I mean, even without homophobia, kids can be kids, you know, teens will be oh, teens. Yeah. And oof, so there's, so there's a lot more other ways to, to be bullied. And, and Lance was just very unapologetically himself. And to long story short, the, the action of the book kicks off when he comes face to face with his main high school bully, and finds him to be a totally changed, reformed guy that everyone in Spruce loves, gives to charity, goes to church, does all these things. And it just makes Lance see even more that his high school bully is now this totally likable guy. What the heck happened? And it goes from there. They, they start connecting, and maybe his high school bully has a little secret of his own. Ooh. And that, that takes you into Wrangled. That ticks so many boxes for me. Small town romance, enemies to lovers. <laughs> yeah. The bully oh, yeah. who's got the secret, which I'm sure yeah. is a crush. I'm just guessing. <laughs> oh, you know, bullies and their secrets. They all got a reason for their bullying, you know. <laughs> what was your inspiration to create a small town romance? Well, I am from a small town myself. And uh, it's outside of Houston. And basically, growing up, I, of course, did deal with homophobia. I had unfortunate experience my freshman year of high school right at the beginning too right at the beginning my freshman year of high school where I basically was outed against my will and I didn't have a choice in the matter I didn't get to decide when to tell everybody it was an overnight thing and suddenly the entire school knew and this is back in uh, the late 90s so it was a very different time 20 years ago and I I, I, I just I had a lot of experiences first off with dealing with that. And I think my saving grace was being a theater person mm. because 
theater itself, for anyone who knows, is like a, a net of all the misfits of everything. Because it's not necessarily filled with people who are going to pursue acting or directing or something theatrical or film. They're not necessarily going to pursue that later in life. So a lot of people just come in there out of interest. Like they just want to try acting or they just want to do this or whatever. And that was my experience in high school being surrounded by a bunch of other misfits. So when that happened and I got outed, I had a magical instant support group in that theater. And for four years, you know, they, they had my back. And that's something that I know as an adult I took for granted because not everyone had that growing up. And a lot of people... I can't even imagine if I had to go through what I went through alone. That terrifies me, the thought of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, we even had like, there were so many instances of homophobia that I had to deal with or even see peripherally, even homophobia towards the straight men who were in theater. For instance, the quarterback, my, this was my uh, sophomore or junior year, the quarterback of the football team decided he wanted to try acting. And eventually, he literally quit the football team to do theater full time mm. because he he has a natural talent for it. He literally just got on the stage and stole a lead role in the first show he auditioned for. And his coach was right on top of him saying, what are you? A, and he was calling him words, like F words, and three and six letter F words. And is, wow. like, is this really what you're going to do? The coach, yeah, respected teacher is supposed to be leading. And he's literally attacking him for it. And he held his ground and said, yes. You know, I want to pursue acting. Yes, I do. And he did. And so, you know, things like that are what I was privileged to witness as a growing gay teen. And I, I have a feeling that that has a lot of that that had a lot of impact on why I write the worlds I do. Why I'm just kind of literally tired of writing about homophobia. I'm tired of it. I just I just I feel like without it, it wouldn't have been a big deal. The coach would have been like good job, go pursue your dreams, go chase something that inspires you. Because it was homophobia that stood in the way of, of a coach being able to be proud of his, of his quarterback for doing, doing something like that. And also, I wouldn't have had to be in fear. It would have just been, I would have been outed. Oops, everyone knows now. Great. Move on with my life. I was also very lucky to have supportive parents. My mom was uh, my rock throughout all of that. So, um, yeah, having, are you near, met, are, having met your mom, I'm not surprised she was your rock. Yeah. So, yeah. So, all of that turned into my dream of what Spruce could be. What was your specific uh, inspiration for Wrangled? And maybe how did that inspiration change since the book itself changed as you wrote? You know, my inspiration for Wrangled, like I was saying before, it was literally just, I want to explore what all these guys were like at high school. It was originally going to be a short novella that had a bunch of different POVs where we got to see all the original couples from Football Sunday, Born Again Center, and Heteroflexible, and how they were like in high school. And then kind of contrast that with the reunion going on. And the more that I delved into Lance's story of that feeling of returning home really spoke to me. Personally for me, my high school, my 10-year high school reunion was before I started writing romance. I actually didn't go to my high school reunion because... I was sort of, I felt like unsatisfied with my life. I felt like I didn't have anything that I could be like, hey, you know? I mean, if the if my high school reunion had been just three years later, I would have been like, hey, I write romance. It's really cool. <laughs> I write gay romance. It's really nice. But I just, I wasn't there. And so it was, uh, it was a very different experience. And I kind of imagined, because Lance is sort of in the same spot. He's trying to pursue a career in fashion, but he's like right on the cusp where he could be something or he could fail. And so I wanted to really explore that from a perspective. And all, I felt like maybe it was a bit of a catharsis for myself. Mm. That's, a, that's a good story. Thank you. You've had a prolific year because you've also had Lover's Flood come out. Tell us about this one because you were very careful to label not a romance. So April was coming up and I knew that it was a 10-year anniversary of the very first book I published which was originally titled Psychology of Want. Hilariously enough, Psychology of Want was actually originally titled Lover's Flood. I just cha <laughs> full circle. I changed, full circle. Because I changed the title while I was writing it 
because I wanted something. I was just in a very arty mood, and I wanted to, to something that was a little bit more of a question. I thought Lover's Flood might have been too direct about a certain elements in the book. And my mentor at the time, who is the now late Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, Lanford Wilson, we got to know each other all through my last couple of years at the University of Houston. He took over the Edward Albee Playwriting Workshop. And my, I, we submitted a bunch of plays, and mine, out of hundreds, was selected among a few to be produced. And Lanford thought that I was uh, a 50-year-old man from the, the subject of my play. And then he meets me, and I'm this little 20-year-old dinky dink. And he was, like, surprised. But we... we <laughs> We we got to know each other. I'm very grateful that we did because he taught me so much about dramatic structure, characterization, language, cliches, tropes. He just he taught me everything. And then he actually encouraged me to write my first book. And he way preferred the title Lover's Flood. He thought it was much more romantic. He loved it. And for some reason I just I was like, I just really want to name it Psychology of Want because I was also in school at the time when I was developing the story. And I I was I was in school and so I kind of I was taking psychology classes that's one of my majors my my two majors were theater and psychology and that's what my degrees are in and so fast forward 10 years now I wanted I I felt like because that was my very first book it was very raw and it was seen and read by like nearly no one and so I felt like there was something about the, the magic that I felt, the inspiration that I felt with that book that I feel like needed to get out there. And I didn't do it justice, you know? So fast forward 10 years now, you know, this year, 2020. And I, at first it was just going to be a light edit and it was going to be like a re-premiere of, you know, like kind of like, oh, it's 10 years of writing, crazy, you know? But in my light re-edit, which was supposed to take a couple weeks, it turned into a complete full revision I removed so many portions of it. I rewrote so many portions of it. I cleared up the story. The main character was deliberately very unlikable. So I made him much more palatable, I think, for for the common reader, which was very important because my attitude 10 years ago was very different in writing because I came from playwriting. So in plays, it's all about the drama. It's all about the darkness. It's all about damaged characters. There was no such thing as a trigger warning. You don't get trigger warnings when you walk into the theater. You walk into the theater and you're going to see something that will devastate you. You might see something that will make you laugh like so hard. You'll, you might see things that are about real slices of, of human life it created in a very dramatic live way because you're watching it. So because that was my training for my whole life, that was I hit the ground running with my first book. And my, my thought was, if you don't like the main character, well this book isn't for you anyway. And I've gotten over that over the last 10 years. And I'm realizing it's really important for people to, to, to be reached by even the darkest stories. So I needed to find a way to, to make him reachable. And then I, of course, honored Lanford's memory by naming it its original title that it should have been named in the first place, Lover's Flood. So Lover's Flood, in a nutshell, is about a college student during his second year of college, he is a recluse. He's trapped within himself. And he has a wild, one of his key things about him is that he has a wild imagination. And as you learn, this imagination keeps him company. And it even keeps him company sexually. And you also learn that he has a past with an ex-boyfriend who was... I think is the best way to describe him would be emotionally abusive. And it's, you know, I wanted to demonstrate an abusive relationship that is not usually what people think of. Typically, when people think of abuse, they think of physical abuse. They think that abuse has to be something that's hard. I personally have been in relationships, obviously, where this came from, um, because this came from a very real place. This book, Lover's Flood, is extremely personal to me. And... I think that it's really important to see the softer side of abuse, that sometimes a person who's very manipulative and who's very, who can really get into your head and who can make you think that what you want is what they're giving you, which is something that's hurting you, it's almost a hypnosis. And 
I wanted to explore that side of abuse because I think that that's a lot more common. That's really, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's a serious subject, but that's not what the whole book is about, but it's, it's a strong core of why the main character is what he is. A lot of my readers have been describing him with a lot of the same words, which is surprising. People are describing him as damaged, as sometimes demented, but in almost an endearing kind of way. <laughs> he's, like I said, he's got a wild imagination and it takes him far. And it literally, the story takes you through his entire second year. So it's, it's a long time span. There's a lot of ups and downs. It's a roller coaster. There, while it isn't a romance, I see it a lot more as a coming of age, but there is a romantic arc mm-hmm. because there's a person that he's interested in that you meet very early on, but he has no tools to understand this person, to empathize with this person, to connect with this person because he's so trapped in his head he's lost he's socially strange and one artistic element of this book that was in the original that i needed to keep in this one is the fact that there's no names there's also no proper nouns so the university isn't named where he's lived isn't named none of the characters have names the main character doesn't have a name and it's deliberate to kind of create well i kind of i don't like to explain why so i'll just offer a suggestion of perhaps it helps create a dissociative feeling but one thing that i've noticed readers say which is really interesting is they say it helps anyone fall into any of the characters and realize that this story can be about anybody Mm -hmm. no matter how unique and strange and out there it might seem this could happen to anybody and this could be anybody wow i'm super intrigued by this Um... (laughs) thank you (laughs) Because the blurb doesn't quite give me all that, you know, having read the blurb. And now hearing you describe yeah. it, it's like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the funny thing is kind of writing a blurb. You need to write it in short words because you need to get their attention. and You need to kind of wrap up your book a little bit in a package. Yeah. And this book is so difficult to put into a package. There's so much in it. You write in a lot of genres. Like, I don't even know kind of what genre necessarily to put Lover's Flood in. But you've certainly got the romances. Yeah. And you've also got some dystopian and, and fantasy going on in your in your backlist too. What yeah. draws you to these different areas and how do you decide where you want to work next? One of my greatest loves as a kid was fantasy. That was my big thing. So that's really kind of where I started. That's where I that's where I came in. And also, like I explained before, my background in theater, I've always been one to tackle unusual things, even magic realism or sci-fi in a, not necessarily like a Star Trek kind of, you know, sci-fi, but more like a very tangible modern day, this could really be, or this could really happen type of sci-fi. I found it really appealing. Things that dig into your psychology, your psyche. Your psyche. Mm-hmm. I think while I do kind of write in a bunch of different genres and I, I do it purposefully, you know, I, I don't want to be one thing. I don't want to be a gay romance author. I don't want to be a dystopian author or a fantasy author. That's why, like, my name, you know, me, my, my artistic voice has always been everything. It's always been a whole lot of things. I think maybe if you could sift it down and find a common denominator, one common denominator I could see might be my homophobia free worlds. Because even in my dystopian series, which is the outlier series, I've said it in a future that I wanted to pull apart these things that are that t- that tie our, our society together, the negative things that are tying our society together, such as homophobia, racism, sexism, classism, all sorts of things, ableism. And I wanted to put I wanted to imagine a world where there's some kind of equalizer that makes us realize we really that really forces us to see that we're all human and that these walls that we build even boundaries between countries are so they're man-made they're 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 us and we should really look past that and see each other as people human beings and so my way of doing that was just to literally destroy the world and create a new one in my outlier series and in the beautiful dead too even though the beautiful dead doesn't really have any gay content in it it's the same sort of notion of breaking the world apart and putting it together into a different way. If I ever do tackle high fantasy, I do have fantasy ideas, but if I ever do tackle a high fantasy series, I would approach it the same way mm-hmm. as well. And yeah, because my outlier series 
centers around it, it, it takes place in a place where there's no homophobia and that's even with the straight guys like straight guys can show affection to each other and there's none of that annoying 90s era no homo attitude mm. Ugh, cringe and i try to imagine the effects that a world like that would have on careers personalities the structure of our society in general mm-hmm. ideas like marriage and friends and what it means when two male best friends can really show affection towards each other without the fear that they're not manly enough and such on and so forth and also gender roles and pushing women to do uh, what women should and when to do what men should and you know there's none of that you know especially in like in my non-romance worlds like outlier queens and kings are just are equal in power princes and princesses and i mean there, there's a lot of medievalness, but it's set in the future. So it's, it's, it's a very unique, it's like technology and medieval stuff and superpowers that people have. So it's, it's a very unique world, but it speaks to me. Some authors would split this stuff up between different pen names and you're keeping it all under one. Uh, yeah. what's, what's your thinking there? To be perfectly honest, this is kind of a silly answer, but it was kind of on accident because I started writing my non-romance stuff and then I was known for my non-romance stuff. Because one of my first books after Psychology of Want, and then I wrote a time travel thriller called Super Psycho Future Killers. Say that 30 times fast. And then my third book was The Beautiful Dead. And then my fourth book was Outlier Rebellion. And fun story about The Beautiful Dead and how this is a little stepping stone into getting into romance. My mom really wanted to go to this biker romance events that was here in Houston because all of her favorite authors were there. This was back in 2013. So I was very, I was like, I don't know. It's like romance. Like I, I, I shrug. It's, it's what my mom does, but I was like, sure. Okay. I'll go with her. I'll, I'll endear her. And her being, being mommy was like, you should bring your, the beautiful dead book. Just bring a copy of it and you're going to give it to some of these authors so that they can read it. Because I know one of the authors loves fantasy. And I was like, really? Oh, my gosh. It's so embarrassing, Mom. Don't do this. (laughs) And so (laughs) I had like I like had the book. I signed it. I put like a little ribbon around it. And I brought it to this author whose name is Madeline Sheehan. And I didn't realize how big of a name she was in the indie indie author industry. And I gave her the book. I was kind of shy. I was like, here you go. I write, too. This is my third book ever. Here you go. Have fun. Didn't think anything of it. And then, little do I know, Madeline Sheehan reads it on the plane ride home, devours it, and couldn't stop talking about it. She went to social media about it. She contacted me. She said, what? How did this is amazing? Oh, my gosh. You need to keep writing it. Because at that time, it's a five-book series now. At that time, it was a, that was the only book that existed. And I honestly didn't even know if I was going to write a book, too. She read it. She loved it. She told all of her friends about it. Suddenly, all these other authors started contacting me through Madeline Sheehan. I met Nicole Jacklin. I met Chelsea Cameron. I met uh, Jordan Marie. I met Sabrina Page. I met just it just went on and on. I met all these different people who eventually became good friends of mine. Madeline's like total bestie. I love her. And so, long story short, she finally was like, "Dude, why don't you write romance?" why don't you try writing romance? And I said, well, I'm just, I think of like Fabio hair and Harlequin stuff. And I just kind of like, it just totally turned me off. But little callback, there was this one night where we were out at like some bar. I don't really drink, but we were out of this bar and I saw this really hot guy across from the bar. I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, should I go say hi? Should I, should I not? Should I say hi? And then he leaves And I went back to my hotel room feeling all dejected and sad. And then it suddenly clicked. And I was like, a romance book is when I get to go over and say hi. And then see what happens and go from there. And I realized romance is life. Romance could be my life. You know, literally every day, especially if you're single, every day you're just looking around and thinking what ifs with every attractive thing you see. So, so that, that revelation, that, that, oh my gosh, sparked me. And then I just started writing romance. And I gay romance at that right away. And my whole life changed. That's a great story. I I don't know if I went off on a tangent there, but I... No, you really didn't. 
it all connected really well. Cool. Um, during GRL last year, you were part of the folks who were interviewed for Charlie David's What Women Want Gay Romance documentary. Yes. And for those who haven't seen it yet, you actually are the first person we see as the play button is pushed <laughs> and the program engages. Yes, I am. It's just my face. It's my face right away. <laughs> just get my face. How do you feel about the finished documentary and, and kind of the stories that you told in it and the stories it presents overall? I felt like it was good. I think there's, of course, there's so many aspects of gay romance that can be explored. I think it would take like a whole series of documentaries to really get all the different nuance. So it really it kind of grazes the surface of of what of what the the genre is and and the key point of I think the the documentary was to highlight the the idea the notion of so many people who write and read gay romance are actually women and because that for some reason that comes as a as a surprise to a lot of people and you know like even whenever whenever i tell people that story they're like really like i would would expect it to be gay men you know but i'm like you know no not 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 necessarily because you know i mean really when you get behind the artist of any work people as as an artist, you want to step outside of your comfort zone. You want to step outside of what you know. That's why you do research. That's why you know you explore other characters. I mean, not all books about murderers are written by murderers. Dexter wasn't written by a serial killer, you know. So it's like, you know, like as an artist, you want to you want to stretch out of the, uh, out there. But I think as as far as the documentary goes, I, I I enjoyed it. I'm not. It wasn't new to see myself on. Like in a in a medium like that. I mean, I, I I'm theater, so I, I've been on stages. I've acted yeah. in plays. I I was in like an independent commercial at one point too, where I played like this sort of geeky hipster. You know, I've always been also very open about myself. You know, everyone knows my mom. Everyone knows my life. I'm I I I write under my actual name. I don't have a pen name, so I'm pretty much an open book to begin with. So yeah, and the story honestly of of you and your mom is amazing uh, getting Thank to meet you. the both of you at grl last year it was just like this is such a nice family that's right here and supporting each other yeah you thank know you. in in what you're doing it's it's really awesome thank you yeah my mom is pretty awesome i'm not <laughs> sure i could have my mom read some of the steamier parts of the book so i i think that's oh. very brave of you to do that but <laughs> You you should hear some of the conversation. You should be a fly in the wall in this house sometimes. My my mom does read all of my work, including the steamy scenes. Yep, it 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 literally is. I I don't know how other people would react to it, but it's <laughs> the thing is she's always been she's always read my work. Like she's never shied away from anything, and like you know, and sometimes she's a soundboard for for ideas that I have or whenever I'm kind of lost in a story or I'm not sure I want something to go. You know, we have had like. The moments at dinner where, you know, we're we're eating and she's just kind of daintily cutting her potato. And I just had sent her to my chapters that morning and she'll just be like, you know, honey, I was just thinking about this. How can someone give a blowjob and like also open their pants and hold the back of his head at the same time? Like, this is not possible. It's not possible. I'm like, oh, my God, mom, we're trying to eat. Dinner conversation in the banner household. <laughs> Dinner conversation. You know how it goes. <laughs> But yeah, my mom and I are very open. She's 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 a cool cat. <laughs> Which is like I said, it's it's very awesome just to see that. Thank you, thank um, you. So we're halfway through Pride Month, and all this month we've had authors reading from their work for us, so we can you know hear a little bit of the work from the author directly. What are you going to be reading for us? You know, I was thinking I would read my first chapter of Lover's Flood, which is oh. a very short chapter, so it's three pages. <laughs> all right, chapter one. Of Lover's Flood. The good news is, you can't die from masturbating. Or at least I haven't yet. And I don't mean to sound awful, but my favorite part of the day is when my roommate rushes off to his morning classes. He's almost never back before the late afternoon. And since I have no early morning classes this semester, I get the whole dorm room to myself for hours. Hours alone are a commodity in dormitory life. I shake away my screensaver with a flick of the mouse. I double-click a folder called Psychology Notes, which is actually full of male fitness models flexing, half-naked athletes, and cute guys making out. 
Video clips I've gathered, organized carefully by model name. Galleries upon galleries of photos, also organized by name. I like knowing their names, especially if we're about to spend the next few hours together. It would seem disrespectful otherwise, wouldn't it? The one whose folder I double-click today is no surprise. I'm sure every other model, athlete, and stolen off the web hottie rolls their eyes as I open his gallery, knowing how predictable I am. He's my first choice. I always open him first. He's my go-to specimen of perfection, this guy who's worked his way into my heart and made a home there. 99 times out of 100, it's him I'm spending time with. I don't actually know him, of course, but his life is one I can easily imagine as I gaze into his soft, knowing eyes on the screen. I see him with a circle of his closest buddies. He always seems to be surrounded by a happy, bro-ish swarm of them. He's the kind of guy who laughs with his whole body, all his perfect muscles contracting with his every joyful bellow. He'll probably even laugh at a dumb joke I make, not wanting me left out of his circle. He doesn't exclude. He doesn't push away. He's the perfect fantasy buddy. He'll never be annoyed or angry, and he'll never roll his eyes. He's there for you always, and he lifts you out of any mood you're in and makes you see the better side. He's not just a sex object, either. I'll never see him that way, no matter how fast he makes my heart race, and no matter what I'm doing right now below my waist. He constructs in my mind an alternate life. He's a kind of idealized, perfect love, a true love, a forever love. When he smiles, the whole world breaks apart before my eyes, like ocean waves shattering the shore, and I smile with him, and I belong. I don't want to say I'm in love with him. <laughs> that would be ridiculous, of course. Crazy, even. What I feel for him is more of a deep, meaningful affinity, a kind of affection that is always accompanied by something like envy, walking alongside it, holding its warm, warm hand. There's a very fine line between loving someone so much you want them and loving someone so much you want to be them. I guess depending on which side of that line you fall, the world sees you as either a romantic or a creep. I'm not sure which side of that I follow. Maybe my fine line is a blurry one. Or maybe the better point is, it doesn't matter. Because when I'm staring into his bottomless eyes, enjoying his brotherhood, his sweetness, his charm, and his allure, catching every football he throws with his jock buds, flexing his guns at the gym, goofing off at a party in his stylish clothes that show off all his hard work at the gym, beckoning me over to hang with him on the couch, that soul-stealing smile he gives me, I belong. And during our time today, I stare with supreme devotion into the soft-eyed, adorably dimpled face of my muscular buddy on the screen, and the tight, exquisite way his plain white t-shirt fits on his shoulders in this particular photo I've landed on, stretched across his pecs and wrapped around his biceps. His flat-billed hat is on cockeyed, strands of his messy hair jutting out in all directions from underneath its shadow. His eyes sparkle like undiscovered gems as he stares back at me. He lets, his, he lets me admire his beauty. He lets me live the fantasy. He always looks like a champion in every one of his photos, and I never quite know what he just won, other than my heart. Always, every time. Wow, that beautiful smile. And I swear he knows it, because the corner of his lips curve up ever so slightly in this pic, giving him that cocky, proud look of victory, the look of a guy who knows he's got me. Then there's a noise at my back. My door swings open. Oh, fuck. <laughs> End of chapter. Oops, End the roommate scene. came home. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! The roommate came home. <laughs> That Into was chapter. great. He's such a good character. He's interesting. He's certainly interesting. He's got a lot of lot more tricks up his sleeve. There's a lot sure. of stuff bouncing around in his head for sure. Oh, yes. Like I said, his imagination is his, his core. So what does pride mean to you? Pride means... This might sound strange to someone, but I don't know. Pride to me means to have a simple unremarkable confidence that everyone else in the world has already just to be themselves. One day I feel like the, this idea of pride will be obsolete because we'll live in that homophobia world I write so many of my books in. Fun story about pride, if, I, if you wouldn't mind me sharing. Please. So one of the first years that I attended pride, I had just finished that, that, that very first book of mine, Psychology of Want, which Lover's Flood is based on. And I had printed several paperbacks, and I brought them to the Pride Parade to sell them here in Houston. And, of course, I didn't sell all of them. I was practically giving them away. 
And the grand marshal of our parade, the guest grand marshal, happened to be Andy Cohen of Bravo 10 years ago, if you can imagine it. And he came by my kiosk and I gave him a copy of my book and I signed it. And he was all like, you wrote this? And uh, <laughs> I was like, yes, I did. And it was very awesome. He was super, super fun. And of course, like my mom and I did the gushy thing. We're just like, we watch all the housewife shows. We like, we watch Bravo. We love Bravo. And uh, <laughs> it's like super embarrassing, but we did it. Um, and anyway, he started seeing us all around the event after that. And he would, he would like drive in the back of a car and like wave at us and be like, hi, hi, Daryl and his mom. I love, I love P-Flag moms. <laughs> Cause that's who, that's who we were marching with mm. that, that year we were marching with P-Flag and he was super duper sweet. And I don't know if Andy Cohen still has that copy of psychology of want, but if he does, and if somehow he were to see this and hear this, I would say I have a copy of Lover's Flood that has got your name on it and I would love for you to have it because it would just make my life full circle from that time when I started out to 10 years to where I am now. <laughs> you should Happy look Pride. like on, the, on the, the backdrops to like what happens live and everything, see if it's back on that shelf somewhere. Seriously, <laughs> Set dressing. yeah. Look, like, is my book on there? No, no, it's not. <laughs> So what's coming up next for you later this year after Connor comes out? So what is coming up next to me? So I'm going to be releasing uh, basically if Connor's not out already, actually, I don't know by the time this airs, Connor might already be out. So I would say what's coming up next for me, I'm going to be releasing the rest of season two of the boys and toys after Connor is going to come. Brett his roommate followed by Dante who is the landlord, followed the sexy landlord, followed by Zach, who is a dancer at the strip club, the strip bar. And afterwards in that, in the fall, I believe you can probably see another Spruce, Texas romance coming from me, as well as a, another unrelated full-length romance that's something completely new, if my schedule stays on. And... Maybe even by the end of the year, I will have my next installment of Outlier, which my readers have been waiting over a year and a half for. Uh-oh. <laughs> Those books are big. I, should, I, I don't know if that was stated earlier. Out, the Outlier books are huge. And it's literally because there's so many different stories that happen at the same time. It's literally like writing 10 full-length novels at once. Oh, and then threading, the, threading them together. I mean, like, my last Outlier book was over 280,000 words. So they're, they're big suckers. They take a while to plan and write. Yeah, that does take a while. <laughs> Hopefully I'll have that fifth book by the end of the year. We'll see. So how can people keep up with you online? They can like me on Facebook. They can join my Facebook group, Daryl's Doorway, which is a good place to connect with readers, be the first to hear things about me. You could sign up for my mailing list which you can sign up at darylbanner.com slash subscribe.html. Very, very easy. I give away a gift card every newsletter. I also poll fun things. And in my gift card giveaway, you have an opportunity to ask me questions. And every single newsletter, I answer like eight to 10 reader questions in my newsletter. And some of the questions are very fun. There's some questions that get asked like all the time, but I try So I put like a little perma answer at the bottom of like, these are the questions that get asked all the time. And this is the answer. Usually it's like, am I single? And how old am I? And how do you get my, how do I get your books? So I have the links at the bottom and <laughs> where else you can also follow me on Amazon. I have an Amazon author page. Just click the follow button that lets you know that the plus follow and it, it notifies you of every new release that I have. You can follow me on BookBub as well. Fantastic. We will link to all of those places, plus all the books we talked about in our show notes page. So people thank will you. be able to find everything. Daryl, thank you so much for thank hanging you. out. This was awesome. Thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on your, on your show. This is, this is a total honor. I appreciate it. This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com.
And thanks again to Daryl for joining us and, and giving us that wonderful read from Lover's Flood. It was really excellent to hear a passage out of that book to give us an idea for the flavor of it, since he considers it so very different from his other works. And I want to let everybody know that Daryl has several audiobooks that are available on Libro.fm. Listeners of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one simply by going to sign up at BigGayFictionPodcast.com slash LibroFM. That's BigGayFictionPodcast.com slash L-I-B-R-O-F-M. And by buying audiobooks from Libro.fm, you'll be supporting local bookstores, which is just a wonderful way to be able to support your local community while getting the audiobooks that you love. All right, I think that'll do it for this week's show. Coming up next in episode 246, Lisa from The Novel Approach and Jay from Joyfully Jay, they're going to join us and we're going to be looking at books that they have been loving this past spring. And I could tell you that your TBRs are all going to grow because I know the books they're talking about and there is some super good stuff on their lists. Jeff and I believe in the power of story. And if you're listening to this show, uh, we suspect that you might believe the same thing. Reading a romance novel can be a way to feed and nurture your soul, and becoming a stronger you is the perfect way to crush systemic racism, sexism, and homophobia. Reading a romance novel is the perfect way to fuck the patriarchy. So until next time, everyone, please stay strong, stay safe, and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.